Good morning, church family. If you guys want to grab your Bibles and join me, we're going to be reading out of the book of Matthew, chapter 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadad, and Amminadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijai, and Abijai, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram. Jeram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brother Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jehoiada Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zodak, and Zodak the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elud, and Elud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. So all the generations of Abraham to David were 14 generations from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you and we lift your word to you, Lord. We just ask that you meet us in this place, Lord, that uh, you speak your message to each one of us through Jackie, that, Lord, that you just bless his words to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Lord, we just ask that your hand be on this nation as we go through these things, Lord, and we ask that your hands be on the people to give them strength to go through the things they go through, Lord, the sicknesses and uncertainty we just look to you because we know that you are everything that we will ever need and we give you praise in jesus name amen <laughs> uh, you guys don't get to hear all the comments i get the little ones are excused god bless you guys enjoy the line of the messiah <clears throat> so the guys who have to read all say please never a genealogy <laughs> he did a good job one day one day I, I probably won't do it on a Sunday morning uh, maybe I will uh, we'll do first chronicles and first chronicles is like nine chapters of genealogy so uh, I'm, it was funny because in my in my arrogance as a uh, uh, younger pastor uh, when I was teaching first Chronicles the last time I said I'm gonna teach every one of them chapters because you know the Bible every every verse matters and so like I was three chapters into the genealogy and there was two people left in church <laughs> so I made some phone calls said where'd you guys go and they said we're waiting for you to finish chapter nine we'll come back <laughs> so i got them the next week i just finished it so as we look at the the genealogy this morning it's funny because every time 
I do Matthew chapter 1, we have, we have some of these questions. I'm blessed by our fellowship here and by the children's ministry. The, the kids are going through the same scripture. That's why they stay in here for the reading and, and for the worship. And it's exciting because I'll get someone who calls me and says, what in the world are you doing with this? So, uh, so, so I'm kind. I send them my notes. So when we look at this, there's two things that I definitely want to, to pull out. And then there's, I think, five points at the end I want you to see. So the two points that we want to make right out the gate is in verse 1. Now, we look at the Gospels, and we, when we read the Gospels, the, the other Gospels uh, start different. You know, John is so poetic, right? In the beginning is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and uh, Mark, he just gets going, and it came to pass. And, and Luke, he says, I've compiled all this information O Theophilus, lover of God, to present to you an orderly account of the events that occurred in the life of Jesus. And Matthew says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He, he is a little different from all the rest. And in our Western mindset, we might miss why he does that. And I don't want us to miss it. That's why we're going to look at it today. So the two points that Matthew has is, one, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the son of David. That's the next phrase in verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He is the son of David. The son of David is a title. It is a kingly title because David is of the line of Judah, and Judah is the line of kings. So David, God made a promise to God promised David that someone through him would be an eternal king. He would sit on the throne forever. And Matthew is going to present that eternal king to us as Jesus Christ. He is the son of David and he is the son of Abraham. There was a promise given to Abraham as well. So we're going to look at those two things and make sure that we have a pretty good comprehension of those things. Now, here's the promise of the king to Judah. We read about it in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. And this raises an occasion for me to once again plug the importance of reading the Bible with more than one translation. Listen, Genesis 49, verse 10 in the ESV says the scepter, that's the rule. Okay, the king, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, the lawgiver, the king. Uh, ESV says, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The NIV, the NET reads this way, Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the nations will obey him. Now, the words are different. The meaning's not, but the words are different. And when the words are different, we struggle. And we shouldn't. Because the Bible is an English translation from another language. And this is elementary. There is no such thing as a perfect word-for-word -word translation. It's a different language. And sometimes that requires multiple words or phrases to comprehend what we're reading. A serious student of the Bible should not hear this phrase. Well, this is the most accurate Bible there is. Oh, there's no such thing as the most accurate Bible there is. There is the Bible that you will read. Oh, you're amazing. Uh, oh, I knew I was going to get thirsty. I'm going to take another one of those. Okay, so what I mean by the most accurate, all Bibles are accurate. Okay, if you go on YouTube and you're, re and you're watching something on YouTube and YouTube says, oh my gosh, the NIV, it's the nearly inspired version. No, just stop. You go, oh, the NASB, oh, it's, it's, it's the most perfect. Or the New King James is the most perfect. Or the King James 
is the most perfect. I want you to hear me. Language, translating from one language to another, there is no such thing as a word-for-word translation. So all translators are doing their best to get across the idea, the purpose, the point that the author is making. And we can see an example. I'm only going to talk about it briefly because we can see an example in Genesis 49.10. So the ESV, literally, I'm going to tell you, literally what is said is until he comes to whom it belongs. That's, that's literal. Literal. But what it's talking is about is the king who is going to receive the praise of all the nations. Now what king is going to come and receive the praise of all the nations? That's the king of kings and lord of lords, right? Are you guys tracking with me? So when, when Jacob is prophesying over his children, which is what's happening in Genesis chapter 49. In fact, if you've been doing the one-year Bible, you, you just went through this a little while ago. And so J, uh, Jacob is prophesying, and this prophecy is stating before there was ever a king of Israel, that the kings are going to come from the line of Judah. And there will be one king from the line of Judah that all the nations will turn to. The idea of bringing tribute is you only brought tribute to the king of kings, right? We don't give tribute to Europe or China or Russia because they're not king of us. But in this case, bringing tribute to the king is an attitude in which the whole world is acknowledging his kingdom. So you have different words, but the idea is the same because language is a difficult thing to translate, which is why my encouragement always for people who are students of the word and want to study, use more than one translation. You can have a favorite. It's okay. I have a favorite. I have a couple favorites. But when we study, we want to see when there are those issues where the language is difficult to get the idea across and we can get a fuller understanding by reading five translations of what's being said. Does that make sense? There is no wicked person out there changing what the Bible means. Okay, I've seen all the videos too. This is a reaction to what we call uh, textual critical issues that I'm more than happy to sit down and and talk with you through those things. But I just want you to understand the Bible that you have, and I don't care what version it is. You've, uh, there's only one version I've ever picked on. The, thank you. Somebody was listening. The version I pick on is the Passion Translation, which is not a translation, and it's a mess. But I'm not picking on any others. You use multiple Bibles so that you, there's nothing you miss. Okay. Because you guys all know people who have tried to tell you a joke from another language. No? I used to work at an egg ranch. You guys know what an egg ranch is? I don't, are there egg ranches in Idaho? I haven't, I haven't seen two. In California, there's egg ranches. When I was a kid, ooh, that'll make a mess. I don't know. You should bring me a table, babe, so I could put a thing here. There's no table, hon. It's okay. Oh, don't do it, babe. Don't do it. It's okay. All right. She's, she's, does, do any of you. Don't do as I do. Do as I say. I was going to say, do any of you experience a woman not listening to you when you talk? And in, in this case, I'm going to eat crow. Thanks, hon. That's going to work. All right. So. When I used to work at the, at the egg ranch, I worked with a bunch of uh, guys from Mexico. And so they would always talk about me. And I couldn't tell because but I knew they were talking about me. You guys say, how do you know they're talking about you? Because they say the word huero. And huero is white boy or something like that. So when I would hear that, I would know, oh, yeah, there's only one white guy here. So I'm pretty sure it was me. So anyways, they would... They would tell a joke, and they'd all be laughing. And I'd like, oh, come on, man, tell me the joke. And they'd look at me, and they'd say, yeah, it don't translate. <laughs> now, sometimes it doesn't translate because I'm the butt of the joke. 
But sometimes it doesn't translate because it doesn't translate. It's funny in Spanish. It's not funny in English. And what that illustrates is the challenge of translations. I want you guys to be serious students of the word, not people who believe whatever crazy thing gets posted on YouTube and then say, oh, look, they're taking away the, the glory of Christ. No, they're not. And if you will drive, dive into the, the actual data, you'll understand the whole thing much better. Don't be afraid of translations. They're not going to hurt you. I promise. Just stay away from the passion. Okay? All right. So I want you to understand the idea. So Judah is going to be the kingly line. And the primary king, the king who, to whom God makes a promise, someone not only from Judah but from your blood, is going to be the eternal king. That guy's name was David. Now, David was called something. What was he called? A man after God's own heart. I want you to understand what that means. David had a singular focus, a singular motivation to follow Yahweh, the creator of the universe. You will never read about David bowing to any other idol. His heart was undivided. His heart was totally focused on God. Performance, sometimes really good, sometimes really bad. What was the goal? I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God would call David a man after my own heart. He's pursuing me. David pursued, single purpose, pursued the Lord God Almighty. David's desire was to follow him. So God makes him a promise. From you, from your blood, will come the, Mash the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the king, the anointed one. The word Messiah means anointed one, the one who's going to be anointed. You need to understand this background, this Old Testament history, because we're going to see things in Jesus' life, and you're not going to connect them to anything. Like they exist in a vacuum chamber. But when Jesus is baptized, and a voice from heaven declares, this is my son in whom I am pleased, and the Spirit of God descends, and people can see it, right? The Spirit of God coming down as a dove, and alighting on the Son of God, that is a proclamation. He is anointed. That word is Messiah. He is Mashiach. He is the anointed one. Now, throughout history of the Old Testament, people would be anointed for service to God, but it was not very often they were anointed for life. And it's interesting because you'll see in the baptism of Christ, Jesus baptized, the spirit descends upon him. The spirit that descends upon him drives him into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted in the wilderness and then he returns. And as he's coming past John, John looks at him and says, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world because he sees he is still the anointed one. He is the Christ. All Christ is a Greek term that means anointed. Mashiach is a Hebrew term that means anointed. The spirit is upon him. Jesus is going to walk into the, to the um, synagogue in Nazareth and he's going to read Isaiah 61. And he's going to say, the Lord God has anointed me. It's a proclamation People say all the time, he never said he was, what? You guys ain't reading the same Bible. He says it loud and proud all over the place it is spoken. I am Messiah, this promise that was given to David. In Psalm 89, just going to read a section from Psalm 89, beginning in verse 20, it says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. Now, I don't want you to miss the picture. Don't miss the, the Bible is so full of illustrations. We, we sometimes have a lazy mind and we don't see it. So, Israel needs a king. Saul, his time's up. 
He does not want to follow God. He wants to worship other gods. He doesn't have a single purpose. He has a divided heart. Are you guys with me? So God sends the prophet, Samuel. He says, Samuel, I want you to go and anoint the next king of Israel. You guys know the story. I want you to go anoint the next king of Israel. And so he takes his oil and he goes over to Jesse's house. And at Jesse's house, he says, okay, um, let me see all your sons. And the first one, the firstborn comes out and he's tall. Apparently they like tall guys in Israel. The last tall guy they picked was Saul. It didn't work out so good. So, so maybe tall is not the mark we should shoot for. He comes out and Samuel goes, oh my gosh, look at this guy. He's tall. He's purty. He, he looks at him and he says, lifts his eyes to heaven and says, surely, Lord, this one. And God's like, no, Samuel, you are looking at the outside. What did God say? I am judging the heart. All the sons come. None of them get anointed. So Samuel looks over at Jesse and says, don't you have any other boys? He says, you don't want that one. You don't, we keep him with the sheep. He, we try not to bring him home. When he comes in the door, he's always got sheep poop on his feet. And he tracks it through the house and he's dirty. And he's a little wild, to be honest with you, you know. Oh, the Bible calls him ruddy. I know, I know your translation says ruddy means red. Mm, yes, that's what ruddy means. But you didn't call someone ruddy because they were red. You know the last guy they called ruddy? Esau. Don't you think they called him red because he had red beard? Or they called him red because he was a wild man. Who did he, he liked hunting. He liked being out in the wild. He was not very civilized. So in this case, hey, Lord, I don't know. So they bring David. They go get him. And I'm sure Jesse's like, can't be David. Can't be David. If Jesse thought it could have been David, he'd have had David there when the prophet came. That's like saying the president's come over to my house, but I'm not telling anybody. Okay, you guys might not tell anybody today. But <laughs> once upon a time... Once upon a time, you might have told someone. Yes, I will get an email about that later. <laughs> so let's pretend somebody really important to you was coming over. You would let everybody know in your family that you wanted to be there and experience this person who was coming. They didn't bring David. So David comes. The Lord says to Samuel, he's the one. And he takes the horn. And he pours it on David's head. He anoints him. And then he, David, is going to write what is called the kingly psalms. The psalms about the anointing. And every king of Israel, they would read these psalms over them. Like this. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This was God's proclamation to the king. You're my representative. You're, you're supposed to lead these people well. And when they did, the Bible says they were a king like David. And when they didn't, they say he didn't walk in David, his father's footsteps. So Matthew, in, in telling us this, he wants us to know, hey, this king who was anointed, David who was anointed, it, Jesus is the fulfillment of the picture He's the one filled, <clears throat> covered, anointed by God to be our Savior. It says in Psalm 89, 22, the enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him, strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness, my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers, and he will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of earth, the king of kings. 
My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever in his throne as the days of heaven. And if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, and I will punish their transgression with a rod, their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love. Or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate the covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the heavens. Selah. So the Lord is declaring, hey. He's going to be Jesus Christ. When Matthew writes this, he's saying, for his Jewish audience, they, they get it. You and I may not connect the dots, but the Jewish audience is saying, oh, he's the son of David. He's the forever king. He is, he's the savior of it all. He's, he is the one we've been waiting for. This is the proclamation that's being made. In fact, this is the reason for all the 14s. Now, if you're a careful student of the word and you count the names, you're not going to be able to divide into three groups of 14. What? You're going to have to use one name twice. You know, all the names are repeated, right? And Jesse begot David and David begot, oh, David, it says David twice. Or it says Jeconiah twice. When we, when we look at it, I want you to understand the point that Matthew's making. Oftentimes in a Jewish mind, numbers are not about numbers. It's not, we, we go, oh, because there has to be 14 of them. No, you see, in a Jewish mind, every name has a number associated to it. Dalit Vav Dalit, that's David. It's just the consonants. You, they never wrote the vowels. Uh, a friend of mine who's named Dave, he says door, nail, door. That's how he tells it apart. It looks like it, the picture, the letter looks like a door, then a nail, then a door. So if you ever need to remember what Hebrew letters look like, door, nail, door. However, there is a numeric value given to every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the numeric number for David is 14. Four for Dalit, six for Bob, four for Dalit. 14. So when Matthew is emphasizing the 14s, his Jewish audience is hearing him emphasize David, David, David. The son of David, Messiah. This book, the book of Matthew, is going to present Jesus Christ as the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. And so he's pointing, when he says 14, 14, 14, he's, he is making the genealogy. Some of them are father, son. Some of them are father, or grandfather, grandson. This is common in genealogies in Hebrew. The point is not about the number of how many there are. The point is, what's the message the genealogy is getting across? And the genealogy is shouting to a Jewish audience, David, David, David. He's the son of David. He's the son of David. He's the son of David. He's the forever king, the forever king, the one we've been waiting for. All of our history has been waiting for him, and he's here. This is what Matthew is declaring. But I, I want to set that aside for a moment. We're still in verse 1. And you thought, there's no way Jackie can go this long. You have, you have seen nothing yet. So, uh, in verse 1, right? This is a genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The next part, the son of Abraham. So there is another promise, right? The promise given to Abraham. In Genesis 22, we, we, we should know the story, Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is about Abraham offering up his, his only son, right? He's, he's sacrificing Isaac, the son of promise, the son he waited 25 years to have. 
in Genesis 22:16, he said, um, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, in English, you can use the word offspring as a plural or oftentimes as plural. But in Hebrew, one of the beautiful things is you can tell if they mean it as plural or singular. And the offspring that he's talking about is singular. There's one seed that's important. And it's not, it is Isaac, but it's not Isaac. There's one offspring that's important, the son of Abraham. Why is the number of his uh, genealogy, why, why is the number of the offspring from him going to be more than the sands of the seashore? Because later on, Paul's going to say, Abraham is the father of all who have faith. All who trust in Jesus Christ. How many people is that? Over the history of the world. Yeah, it's more than you can count. It's so many that the New Jerusalem, which is going to be the home of the believer, is 144,000 square miles, roughly the size of the moon, built as a cube that will hover above the earth and between heaven, according to the book of Revelation, which has enough for every person who has ever professed faith in Christ to have more than an acre in their room that God has prepared for them. That's a lot of space. That's not including the space on the earth. Just the new Jerusalem. So God has built a home, prepared a place where everybody fits. But there's more than can be counted. In Galatians, when we, when we look at this phrase, Galatians, the, I know sometimes you think, Jackie, what are you talking about? Just bear with me. Galatians 3, Paul writing, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then that it is for those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What? Yeah, it's in the Bible. It's crazy. Preached the scripture beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How are all the nations of the earth going to be blessed? This is not about Israel. This is about Jesus. It is about him. He is the promise of Abraham. He is the promise of David. You see why it's so important that Matthew draws the line. He comes from Abraham. He comes from David. He's the one. This is the one. This is the king. This is the guy. Hear me. Listen. This is him. This is a proclamation that's being made. So then those who are of faith, Galatians 3, 9, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 16 of Galatians 3. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to his offsprings. So Paul is, is illustrating the difference between English and Hebrew. We would say offspring and we could mean a lot of people. But in Hebrew, that's not what it means. It means there's one offspring referring uh, to many, not referring to many, but to one and to your offspring. And Paul says, who's that offspring? Christ, which is the same as saying Messiah. And who was proclaimed Messiah? Jesus. Most people think Christ is Jesus' last name. It's not his last name. It's his title. He is Jesus, Yehoshua, Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. The king, the one that the whole world had been promised since Genesis. First mention of his deliverance of the nations of the world is Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It's called the Proto-Evangelicum, or the first mention of the gospel. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Do you remember? So... 
we have this, this is being pictured, okay? So I, I want you to see these things. I want you to see the importance of the presentation of Jesus as the son of David and the son of Abraham. This is sub-point number one. You can forget it later if you want to. The next thing I want you to, to glean from what we're going to look at is this. This section of scripture pictures God's love for all kinds of people. That's from verse 2 through 16. If you and I were building a list of people that would be our genealogy, you would not pick these names. And we ask ourselves, what do you mean? Why wouldn't I pick these names? Okay, because there, may, there might be like two that aren't murderers. Uh, there are five women listed, and four of them are questionable. Two of those are prostitutes. One of them is the, the, the spawn of uh, incest. Well, that's a bad word, spawn. A child of incest, that's better. <laughs> that's, that's better. Sorry, spawn, that just left to my mind right out the gate. I just knew when, when I came home and my boys were bad and Kathy said, your spawn need your attention, that was a bad word. So I don't mean it that way, but it's a child of incest. And there's multiple, actually, multiple who are a part of that line. So I want you to see that this is a picture of God's love for broken humanity. Because it's filled with broken humanity. Abraham, he's the father of faith, but he struggled with telling the truth. Anybody ever struggled telling the truth? He was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Isaac also struggled telling the truth. Funny. Isaac came from Abraham. Abraham struggled telling the truth. Isaac struggled telling the truth. He had a son named Jacob. You want to guess what problem he had? He had a hard time telling the truth too. Isaac knows where his namesake comes from now. <laughs> Jacob, the father of Judah, and all his brothers. So this is the 12 tribes of Israel. The focused one is the kingly line, Judah. Judah was not upstanding. Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah. They're twins. By the girl Tamar, who was not his wife. She was a woman that Judah thought was a prostitute. And he hired her. She got pregnant. But she wasn't really a prostitute. She was the widow of his sons. She was married to his firstborn. His firstborn died. A judgment from God for his wickedness. She was given to the secondborn son. That son also died. Again, a judgment of wickedness from God. And then he wouldn't give her to another son because he labeled her the black widow. If I give you to my next son, he's not going to live. So she pretended to be a prostitute. Judah slept with her, and these twins are born from that. And you say to yourself, I thought my family was dysfunctional. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. You remember Rahab? Yeah. She was a Canaanite prostitute who found herself in the line of the Christ. Boaz, uh, the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth. She's the Moabitess. She is a child of incest. You remember the story, right? Lot, he left Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was hard for the angels to get him to leave. You remember? And they go hide in a cave, him and his two daughters. And hiding in that cave, they think that the world has ended. I, I imagine that's what it looked like. Fire comes out of heaven and it consumes Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. And 
So they thought the whole world was over, so they decided to get dad drunk and sleep with him. One gave birth to a child named Moab, who becomes the children of the Moabites. And the other is named, the other uh, sister, the other, his other daughter, has a son named Ammon, who becomes the father of the Ammonites. There's a lot of, now here's my concern. We're going to go through all this and you guys are going to think somehow we don't fit in this genealogy. Don't do that. Don't do that. Then it says, um, Ruth, you have a whole book on the story of Ruth, which by the way is an incredible, incredible story of the grace and love of God. Uh, Obed's the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's an interesting way to say that, right? You guys know what her name was? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Matthew wanted to make sure Uriah's name was remembered. Uriah was one of David's mighty men, by the way. So, so you need to understand David's betrayal of Uriah was way bigger than how it sounds. Uriah is one of the guys who came to him when he was hiding in the caves. Uriah is one of the core guys that was with him, one of, his, one of the 300 uh, he wasn't the captain of the 30s, but he's one of the one of the main body. When people talked about the army of David, they talked about Uriah, who wasn't a Jew. He was a Hittite. What was Bathsheba? I'm going to argue that Bathsheba was a Hittite. You know why? Because he didn't put her name in the genealogy. By, by the wife of Uriah. Not David's wife, <laughs> the wife of Uriah. Now, he, she becomes David's wife, and they have a son, Solomon. Solomon has a son, Rehoboam, who divides and splits a kingdom. Rehoboam has Abijah. Abijah, Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, who tried to kill all his brothers. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, who started well, and everybody thought he was such a great king, and then he decided to presume upon himself the right to be the priest, and he went in to try to go into the Holy of Holies. And, and because he was such a great king, surely God will let me go into the Holy of Holies. And he was struck with leprosy until the day he died. He was one of Israel's favorite kings. And he's the one Isaiah marked the time in his calling of God by. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uzziah is an example of someone who starts well and doesn't end well whose pride and arrogance brings him down. Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, who God showed the last days, you're not going to live, Hezekiah, this illness is unto death. And Hezekiah wept and cried on his bed until the Lord gave him ten more years, in which time he fathered a young man named Manasseh. In fact, he's here in the lineage of Christ. Manasseh is termed the most wicked king in the history of the land of Judah. Manasseh also is marked as having the longest rule, 55 years, the most wicked king. There's some things we should understand about that. He sacrificed his own children in the foundation of his palace. It was common, you know, if you're building a palace and you want the palace to be blessed, when your children are born, you just bury him in the foundation alive. Manasseh did that. He's the one that the Lord says, this is the reason for the exile. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, who brings about incredible revival, but in the end, he doesn't listen to a word from the Lord because he doesn't acknowledge that it could be a word from the Lord, and he dies on a battlefield that was not his own. And from him come the last five kings. Jeconiah, who is cursed, uh, Sheliatel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abuid, Abuid, Eliakim, Eliakim, Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, of Mathon, Mathon, the father of Jacob, Jacob, father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. There's five things I want us to understand from this. One, God uses real people, not ideal people. 
God uses the real. Everybody in this list we can find problems with because they're just like you and me. They have dysfunctional families just like we have dysfunctional families. They have skeletons in the closet just like we have skeletons in the closet. Does it stop God from using them? No. No, God uses real people. Now we got to get outside of our head this weird religious religiosity thing that comes into our head that says I've got to look a certain way or act a certain way to be approved of by God. God uses the real. I'm not trying to excuse your sin. We want to turn from sin and grow daily to be more and more like Christ. But I, I want to stop you from the hypocrisy of trying to pretend that you don't have problems. That we don't have drama in our life. Right? So you need to know God uses the real, not the ideal. Next, I want you to know this. Second thing, God uses our complete messes to accomplish his determined purpose. God uses our complete messes. We think God can only use it if it's clean, organized, neat, and perfect. There's nothing in that list that's clean, organized, neat, and perfect. Nothing. It's a mess. Like real life. Like real people. God uses our complete messes. I'm not saying, well, then go make a complete mess. I'm just saying God uses it. God is bigger than your failure. God is stronger than the things that, that you think about in yourself and say, I, I can't serve the Lord because of this, or I can't, God can't really use me because of that. No. God uses our complete messes. Trust me, ministry in 25 years, if there's anything I have learned, it is God uses complete messes. And he will accomplish his determined purpose. My God is bigger than me. My failure will not hamper his purpose. Now, I may learn a lot of lessons in the process that are good lessons I need to learn, but my God is bigger. That's the second thing I want you to see. Third thing, God does not operate on your timetable. Just in case you needed a reminder. There are 400 years of silence 400 years where not a prophet does not speak. Because God wants to emphasize the message when the next prophet comes. 400 years of darkness. If you're coming on Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Daniel, and we've been discussing some of the darkness that took place during those 400 years of silence. Abraham was promised a son, and it took 25 years for God to deliver. The promise came first when he was 75. The delivery of the child came when he was 100. God does not work according to our times table. Remember I told you about Manasseh, the most wicked king, had the longest reign of all kings in the history of the nation of Israel. Because Manasseh is the greatest picture of the long-suffering of God and the grace of God. Manasseh is taken into captivity by Babylon. He's released. He repents. And he gets uh, maybe a year to try to make something of his reign that wasn't wicked. Aren't you thankful that God was long-suffering for you? That he didn't come? That he, that he didn't say, that's it, I'm done, forget it. He waited 55 years, the entire lifetime of Manasseh, just for Manasseh to repent and return. And he still is known as the most wicked king. Look at me, I've said it numerous times. The most wicked king. God does not operate according to our timetable. God has a purpose and a plan and it's his. And if it doesn't align with yours, I'm sorry, it's really too bad. You should probably get over that part as soon as possible. It'll make the rest of your life much easier. You are not the center of God's story. 
you're not even the center of your own. So we should probably work on that part, right? God's timetable is not ours. Fourth thing. The line of Jesus contains people who were moral outcasts. And it's not a short list. The line of Jesus contains people who are moral outcasts. Why? Because Jesus is going to die for sinners who have no use for him. You ever think about that? Jesus is going to die for sinners who have no use for him. And we should recognize in ourselves, apart from Christ, we are all moral outcasts. What is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many have broken it? If you're guilty of breaking one, you're guilty of... And I can probably get you to break a lot more than one, just so you know. <laughs> it's not hard. You just have to ask the right questions. We are all moral outcasts. We are guilty before the God of the universe. We are by nature morally repugnant. But God came anyway. Why? We sang the song today. For God so loved the world. He didn't love you because you were bigger or stronger or smarter or better. He didn't love you because of some something we might think we're so lovable of. He loved you because it's in his nature. And he gave his one and only son. So that you could be cleansed. Our salvation is not about coming to Jesus because he loves us or coming to Jesus because we love him or to try to get our best life now or whatever bunch of nonsense people talk about. Salvation is about our moral repugnance being cleansed by the beauty of the blood of Jesus Christ. That my sin has been washed white as snow, not because I did something, but because Christ did something. He saved me. We are saved from the wrath of God through the Son of God and his sacrifice made for us. He has cleansed us. The last thing I want us to understand is that the line of Jesus is diverse. It is full of all kinds of people. Kings, shepherds, outcasts, incasts, Canaanites, Moabites, Ammonites, they're all in there. Why are they all in there? Because God so loved the world. Just some people? Does God, does God is, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the gift of God, is it, was God just saying, well, it is for the, this group, this race, that race, this color, that color? No. Nope. And the genealogy of Christ shouts that because they're all there. The whole world. Jesus is going to send out the disciples two by two but because he's doing what? He's claiming the nations. The nations that were pushed out, separated in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. Because man's desire was only wicked continually. And he wanted to build himself a tower to the heavens to declare himself to be almighty God. And God scattered the nations because the nations need to come under a ruler who is the Lord God almighty, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the king of kings. And every human ruler who tries to take that position, the Bible calls anti-Christ. Because every other world leader is some way broken like we are, right? And so we find ourselves off track. Who's the one who can lead us and will never be off track? Jesus. Jesus. This is what is being proclaimed. 
I want you to know, I want you to, I hope you see it. God uses the real, not the ideal. He uses our messes and accomplishes his purposes. He does not operate on our timetable. The line of Jesus is full of moral outcasts because Jesus was coming to save moral outcasts. And it is diverse because he wants the world. What did Jesus, last thing he's going to say in Matthew to his disciples, go into all the world. First, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. By the way, how much is that? Okay, all authority. So Jesus has how much? All authority given in heaven and on earth. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of every nation. Go and make disciples. He is sending his grace to the world. The, this genealogy that we look at, it prepares us for the miraculous birth of the Messiah. If we take the time to see it, it's shouting at us. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I hope that we're able to see the beauty of the King of Kings in his line. Amen? Why don't you stay with me? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for what you have done and are doing. And I thank you, God, that we, I just, it just seems like I bump into this all the time, this idea that I've got to pretend to be something else, something different, something that I prescribe as holy with all my weird ideas about what that is in order to follow Jesus Christ. And the truth is, I don't. My Father in heaven looked across the eons of time and somewhere in all that he saw me, my substance yet unformed. And he had good plans for me. He, he would send his one and only son, even as Abraham offered his son Isaac up, God the Father would offer up his son on a cross that he made so that he could save the morally repugnant of the world. And when the religious people looked at Jesus, they said, he's always hanging out with those outcasts. He's always with the sinner. The very people who make that claim were sinners for whom he came. Blinded by their own sense of self-righteousness. I need you, Lord. For apart from you, there is no way for me to walk and not fall. I need you, Lord, because apart from you, there is no way for me to be presented before the Father as clean. I need you, Lord, for there is no way for me to live this life and walk this path without you. I need you, Lord, every moment of every day so that the words that come out of my mouth may honor you and the deeds that I do may bring you glory. And I can do none of it without you. God, I pray that we would be challenged, be called to this away from this sense of 
self-righteousness and holiness and into the sense that I need a savior and his name is Jesus. He's the promised king of kings, the Messiah who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament and fulfilled in the new. And he presented himself to me as my sin sacrifice that I might be presented to God without spot. And this is how he saves me and you and anyone else who will call upon the name of the Lord. God, we pray in this place that you be glorified and magnified. God, that you would anoint your people with knowledge through your spirit as we come to your word, as we worship, as we pursue you, that we, like David, may have a single purpose, to know you, to follow you, to bring you honor and glory, that we might see in our day a revival that runs through the land, not because we pretend to be something we're not, but because we hold you up. And your word declares, if the Son of Man is lifted up, he said, I will draw all men to myself. So God, we pray that you would accomplish your perfect purpose and plan in this place as we seek to honor and glorify you in the things we do. And in the things we say, we give you praise in Jesus' name.